Welcome to another edition of Not Fake News, a podcast exposing fake news by a non-journalist. That's me, Mike T. Today is Sunday, and I will share with you some articles in the Sunday New York Times. First of all, you will all be pleased to know that there is no southern border crisis. Nothing written in the New York Times, therefore we must conclude there is no problem on the Texas or Arizona or California border. What a relief. This is what I call fake news by omission. Let's turn to the uh, New York Times front page today. As expected, there is an article about the new COVID variant coming from South Africa and the end of the world prognostication because Roe v. Wade might be overturned. Actually, the abortion story headline reads, As Roe teeters, belief in the court could tilt too. Okay. The writer, Adam Liptak, is blaming Trump for appointing three justices who may overrule Roe, and if so, would represent a tipping point from which the court's legitimacy could not recover. The writer apparently agrees with Justice Sotomayor, her concerns about the fragrance of the court. Paragraph three of the article repeats her oft-quoted quote from the December 1st oral argument. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? Now, the next paragraph, if the Supreme Court is perceived to be made up of politicians rather than judges, Justice Breyer is quoted, that's what kills us as an American institution. First off, first off, I did not know that public perception could kill the Supreme Court as an institution. Did you? If the U.S. citizens perceive that all nine justices on the United States Supreme Court are politicians in robes, well, then it's all over, isn't it? Newsflash, thanks to the New York Times, Washington Post, Associated Press, television and cable news networks, and the internet, most everybody already perceives the U.S. Supreme Court as politicians in robes. Politicians in robes for life, with no constituency, and no opportunity to remove them save impeachment, and that process is messy and extremely difficult. Is there anybody in this country that believes that politics has nothing to do with the lifetime appointment of federal judges? To make my point, the Times has an article on page A23 about Joe Biden's nomination for federal judges. Is he picking lawyers strictly based upon merit? I don't think so. A quote from the article. Mr. Biden's nominees are extraordinarily diverse in both legal background and ethnicity. The White House and liberal interest groups, read lefty interest groups, 
have been promoting public defenders and civil rights lawyers in addition to the more traditional choices of prosecutors and corporate attorneys. Are these, my question, are these nominees non-political or politically neutral? Not a chance. Jennifer Sung had some trouble clearing the tie in the Senate Judiciary Committee for her nomination to the famously liberal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Why? It turns out that Ms. Sung was a bit of an activist in 2018. She signed a blistering letter opposing the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And now we're quoting from the New York Times article. The letter from Yale Law School students, alumni, and educators called Justice Kavanaugh, quote, an intellectually and morally bankrupt ideologue intent on rolling back our rights and the rights of our clients, end quote. Ms. Sung apologized for the letter during her confirmation hearing in September and conceded it was overheated. Republicans still unanimously opposed her nomination, making her the first Biden nominee to require a floor vote. By the way, in case you're interested, according to the article, 28 of Joe Biden's federal judicial uh, nominees have been confirmed since January of 2021, and that would include nine appeals court judges and 19 district court judges. Back to the perception of the Supreme Court article. Try to follow me here. Mr. Liptak writes, For decades, conservatives have argued that Roe amounted to judicial activism, announcing a right not found in the Constitution and overriding the judicial process to achieve an outcome that politicians would not. By the way, that is exactly a correct analysis. There is no right to abortion in the Constitution. There is, however, a right to life. Mr. Liptock, back to the article. He then writes, now, after nearly a half century in which that right, the right to abortion, has been woven into the societal fabric, the argument may have come full circle with many liberals saying that a decision by the court to eliminate the right to abortion would amount to flagrant political activism. Let that sink in a little bit. Now, I am just an unimportant small-time lawyer and certainly not a constitutional scholar, but I must ask, how can it be political activism to overturn a decision that was not grounded in the Constitution in the first place? Of course, the article then turns to professors and pollsters, never anybody citing the United States Constitution, which, by the way, Article 3 of the Constitution says nothing about professors, pollsters, or perceptions. Do you think that any justice on the Supreme Court gives a hoot about poll numbers? The other front page story is about reshaping voting laws passed by Republicans in state legislatures. Democrats and the New York Times reporters call so-called voter integrity laws voter restriction laws. 
because they aim to limit mail-in ballots, drop boxes, accepting ballots with names that would not or could not be verified, using scribbles as signatures, you know, all the things that were prohibited before the election in 2020. I think it is fair to say that the New York Times is obsessed with this issue. It's funny that no writer of the New York Times ever asks what motivates EOP state legislators to pass these voter integrity laws in the first place. Could it be that millions of Trump voters in red and purple states all over the country, right or wrong, they believe that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump? Of course, the Times frames the issue as Republicans as being sore losers who won't face the fact that Joe Biden won the election fair and square. Notice they never say Biden won the election fair and square. They simply say that no Republicans could prove that the election was stolen from Trump and that these new restrictive laws are aimed at taking away potential votes from Democrats because, well, once you have voted by mail, you cannot possibly go back and vote in person ever again, don't you know? The New York Times and Democrats everywhere are quick to accuse Trump of what they have termed the big lie. That but for the massive voter fraud, Trump would have won handily. No evidence, no evidence, they shout. But there is plenty of evidence, as chronicled in at least three books that have been published this year, calling attention to the massive voting irregularities, let's call it fraud. Molly Hemingway wrote a book entitled Rigged. John Fun and Hans von Spakovsky wrote a book called Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Both of these books chronicle the events leading up to the November 2020 election that overwhelmingly favored Biden, including $400 million from Mark Zuckerberg, targeted to promote Democrats in key swing states. Also, massive mail-in ballot voting irregularities. Also, a fine-tuned legal defense organized by election lawyer Mark Elias with his army of 600 lawyers successfully blocking every effort at exposing widespread voter fraud. Both books cite Time Magazine writer Molly Ball in her February 4th cover story in Time Magazine explaining how the Democratic strategy to rig the election worked. While these two books fall short of declaring that the election was stolen, in Trump time, book recently written, published by Peter Navarro, who earned a PhD from Harvard, he has no problem reaching this conclusion. Included in Navarro's book are chapters on the Immaculate Deception and the Art of the Steel, publications originally released in December of 2020 and January 2021, showing how the election was stolen. Add to these publications, the Arizona audit conducted in 2021, is it no wonder that Republican voters just will not accept that Biden won fair and square. So they are making noise. They are demanding that state legislators 
close the fraud-inducing loopholes. That is the reason the GOP state legislators have passed 33 laws in 2021 in 19 states. It is important to note that under Article 1, Section 4 of the United States Constitution clearly states that the time, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed by each state, in each state, by the legislature thereof. Let me repeat that. Article 1, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution clearly states that the time, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So, the New York Times writer this Sunday calls the Republican laws, quote, cut back to voting access, end quote, and, quote, undercutting the voting power of people of color, end quote. In other words, voter integrity laws are just plain racist. The article features the Georgia queen of electoral unfairness, Stacey Abrams, who narrowly lost the governor race in 2018 by a mere 55,000 votes. Picture the size of Yankee Stadium. Ms. Abrams is worried about the potential effects in 2022 and beyond and is increasingly frustrated with Democrats' inability to pass federal voting protections in Washington, D.C. Quote, we are facing now, what we are facing now is a very real and acute case of democratic subversion, she said in an interview, adding that the country needed a Senate willing to protect our democracy regardless of the partisanship of those who oppose it. So, we need an unconstitutional federal election laws to protect our democracy. Is that what you're saying, Miss Stacy? First of all, as I have said before, and I'll say it again, you will not find the word democracy in the United States Constitution. The United States Constitution established a constitutional republic consisting of three co-equal branches of government and by the way, it did not include the massive administrative swamp. The Sunday New York Times article ends with another quotable gem by Miss Abrams. Quote, this isn't simply about who wins and loses in the election, she said. It's about what type of nation we intend to be. And there are consequences for undermining and breaking our system of government. Now, maybe, maybe she's right. Voter integrity bills targeting fraud undermines and breaks our currently corrupt electoral system, one that allows the counting of mail-in ballots featuring blank signatures, no signatures, faulty addresses, dead people, and persons who have moved. Stand firm Republicans continue to fight for voter integrity. Restricting mail-in balloting does not mean people can't vote. They can vote in person and show an ID. It merely makes it harder to cheat. We should all want that, right, Stacy? Until next time, remember, never take for granted the blessings of liberty established for us and our children by our remarkable Constitution. Read it. Know it. Defend it against our enemies. Fake news is real. 
Stay informed. Be engaged. Our republic depends on it. Over and out.